HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and bringing a great show to you today from Roberta's, as always. Um, when I am not hosting In the Drink, you can certainly find me at one of our restaurants, Del Anima, Lartuzzi, Lepicho, or the Wine Bar Anfora, which is open till 2 a.m. Monday through Saturday and serves half-price magnums after midnight really fun thing to do where I act as the beverage director for, for these uh, for these restaurants in downtown Manhattan. I'm very excited for today's show. We have a uh, guest in the studio uh, from Austria. Um, we have Martin Arndorfer. Welcome to In the Drink. It's great to have you. Good morning. Hello. Uh, we also have uh, Ch- uh, Chase Granoff from Indie Wines, um, who might be chiming in. Just wanted to let you know that he's here with us. Welcome. Uh, always great to work with you. Good morning. Thanks. <laughs> um, so well, welcome welcome back to New York. Uh, I feel like I see you every year around this time. You come for uh, for the Indies, uh, Indies wine tasting. Um, uh, how has your trip been so far to New York? Uh, very good. Like I met already some friends, uh, did some very nice tastings yesterday in New York, the day before in Philly. So really enjoy it so far. Okay, great. And uh, is this? Tell us about your your year. How do you plan when you are going to travel? Obviously, the the indie tasting happens at this point. But how much of your year is spent in the winery versus traveling and promoting? And and tell us about that. Uh, yeah. So the at the moment, it's the, t- the time where we travel a lot. Like in the vineyards, there's not a lot to do. Uh, cellar is pretty quiet too. So we more or less plan our year uh, next to the vineyards and next to the cellar. So when the season starts in the vineyards, we are we are not traveling anymore. So we stay most of the time in Kamptar. 
And uh, and tell us about uh, your your estate. Uh, uh, I think I found out about um, your wines only at the uh, indie tasting, actually, which uh, which we held at, at Lepicho uh, the last few years, um, and was immediately drawn to them. I felt like they were your wines are very individual, very unique, not not like what you necessarily expect from the the Comtal region. Uh, yeah, that I I was in a very lucky situation that my grandfather or grandparents and my parents they already managed the winery, and so I grew up in the winery and got from my parents uh, quite a lot of freedom to uh, travel and to get experience from outside from Austria. And then in 2002, I asked my parents that I would like to do my own, my first own vintage and. I would need some grapes too and then my father said well you can choose the vineyards you would like to work with and then since 2002 I yeah got more and more vineyards from my parents and they got more and more trust in my ideas and the idea was since the beginning that we don't want to make some wines which are normal more or less so they should gain some interest and we are in the lucky situation to work in the Kamptal, and which at the moment is really nice uh, because of diversity of soils and also the tension in the climate between the warm Pannonian climate and continental climate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like and at the moment we really can't complain. Uh, so in, before 2002, were your parents making wine under the Arndorfer estate? And yes, under under that label. And you said, I'd, I'd like to make some of my own. And I said, sure, why not? Exactly. So my parents, uh, like I started a label next to the winery, uh, next to the label from my parents. And I started with two wines, like the Chardonnay Neuburger, the Leidenschaft, and Zweigel, the Leidenschaft. And I started like with five barrels. And yeah, that was really uh, nice for my parents that they helped to start like a new label or at that time what was the the main difference what was the thing that was unique to you that you wanted to do uh for me i was looking for more complexity and more individuality in the wine like in those years uh especially in austria there was a lot of wine very fruit driven so sometimes even just one dimensional and i spent some time in italy and with a very nice family who was traveling a lot, visiting restaurants and enjoying good wines. And for me, it was very inspiring to drink wine, which are not so fruit-driven, which has more texture and more complexity, and at the end also more personality. More personality. See, this, this must be why I'm so driven to your wines, why I like your wines so much, because of this influence in Italy, and, and certainly our restaurants have predominantly Italian wines, except for Anfora. Um, tell us about your experience in Italy. How did you end up there, and how does that influence your, your wines and your ideas? Uh, yeah, it was like funny that a friend of like it was when I, I was 17 when I did this trip. Uh, it was a practical training uh, during school. And I thought it's, uh, Italy would be a nice... At the beginning, I was more like about the nice life in Italy, like enjoying the life and not being too strict. And when I was there, it was uh, nice. Good, good food, relaxing. Exactly. Three-hour lunches. Exactly. Yeah. And then a little rest after lunch. And then when the temperature gets nice again, you go to the vineyard, but not during the heat in the 
yeah, during lunchtime. <laughs> and, and it was much more attentive. Or I f maybe I was wrong, but I, I felt like it's much more attention on the vineyard and on the on the vine. Like there is a certain sensibility which uh, I was impressed on. Yeah. And which wineries did you? I, I know I know the answer to this. I know that you're with Ronco Don um which is uh, one of the wineries that I absolutely love. I visited them with uh, Bobby Stuckey from uh, from Frasca. And uh, and also Yuli, uh, wh whose wines we uh, we carry at uh, both of those wines we carry at our restaurant. So, um, and was Ronkodonyemi's first, and then Yuli after? Yes. Okay. Like in 2000, I was at Ronkodonyemi, and then 2001 and 2002, uh, I spent some time with Fabrizio Yuli in Piemont. Great. And then you bring you have these great experiences and you come back and you say, I want to grow Friulano. No. What what were, what did you bring back to I wanna plant Barbera? Uh no, like it was more uh I haven't thought about changing the varieties. Mm -hmm. Uh one thing was that uh it was a bit more international, like with Chard working with Chardonnay, that my father planted some Chardonnay as well and in the late eighties, like when Chardonnay got really fashion. <laughs> was also in Austria and but then uh, I thought I want to do some uh, wine fermenting and aging in barrels to get more lease contacts more oxygen and rather doing a single varietal Chardonnay I thought I would like to blend it with some Neuburger to have also a very old native Austrian variety mm -hmm. and yeah this was the first wine we we produced and uh, and uh, over the years, have, how have things changed and evolved? Uh, like, I finished the winemaking school in 2002, and after school you got teached all the technology and all the addings you can or you have to do to make a good wine, because if you're not inoculating, uh, you risk a lot about the uh, fermentation, mm -hmm. what we got teached, but after years we got uh, we got the experience that if you inoculate, you lose a lot a lot of other flavors from the vineyard. So at the beginning we even inoculated, and then after the years, uh, like since 2006, all the the very important wines from our estate, the Leidenschaft, uh, they're fermented with native yeast. And then since 2014, uh, the whole cell is with native yeast. And then we reduced a lot, uh, even sulfur. Like 2015 was the first vintage of our rosé, where we bottled it uh, unfiltered and with zero sulfur added. And for us, it was a learning process over years. And I didn't want to, like I have, I wanted to have the, uh, the experience before we change everything like it's not because it's like trendy we do mm -hmm. it like this i want to know that it works before we really uh do it but now we know it it works beautiful uh, you know and i want to ask you a lot more about yeah about your sulfur use uh it's a topic that comes up frequently on, on this uh on this program um but the first pro the first point that you made was about uh the winemaking school and in my world, in the restaurant world, um, you'll find that 50% of chefs say that culinary school is good and worth going to, and 50% say, don't go to culinary school, learn by, by working in restaurants. Um, do you think that, uh, that winemaking school 
and in knowledge school is is something that is that is really useful and important, especially if you want to make wines in the way that you do without you know without as without additives or without a, many additives. Yeah, no, I think that the school and the knowledge is uh, very important and also very helpful because then you know what's happening in the wine if you don't add anything. So you're not uh, gambling. Uh, you know the process was happening and then you also can think about the risk if it, if it is a risk not adding sulfur or if it's not so I think the decisions are based more comfortable if you know what's happening if you know what the risks are and how, how old are you is this part of high school or is this an after is this like college how old are you when this when this happens because it sounds like you were like 18 and you're studying and you're in Italy as part of this yeah no I started the winemaking school when I was 14 when you were 14 <laughs> yeah. and it was nice that we uh, like I was also like the whole week we stayed at the school I don't know the English word like uh, kind of like a boarding school you would say boarding winemaker school yeah so we uh, we all like 14 we stayed the whole week and of course we had to start tasting as well and but it was no trinket it was tasting of course right i'm <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> and yeah and so we started at 14 and then uh finished with 18 or 19 like five years and then i did some other uh college or university uh and yeah this was also not the plan at the beginning but uh my wife wanted to study and she just asked me if i can join her to visit the university yeah and when i was there i thought well it looks cool maybe i should study too because to have a little bit off uh to get away from home uh yes. and get more inspiration or meeting more people <laughs> wow i mean so as a 14 year old martin do you know like i want to work in wine for the rest of my life i want to be a winemaker or is it that you grew up in this in the Comptal and you grew up with your family and that's kind of assumed what you were going to do uh, yeah like uh for me it was the decision more or less was done uh with 14 but it was pretty comfortable uh that it started already in the kindergarten <laughs> Uh, my mother told me that I never wanted to go to the kindergarten. Uh, I, w I was much more... I wanted to go with her to the vineyards. So when she was uh, working in the vineyard, I joined her and I took my little tractor yes. and I played with the soil in the vineyards rather than going to the kindergarten. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like what I would do, actually, as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It was fun, like... Uh, my brother and me had always a lot of yeah. free time, and we can we yeah we went to yeah playing on the winery. I bet it was just like that such a blast, like being able to run through the rows of the winery as as a kid. And yeah, and then we tried to tick holes. So my father, when he comes with the tractor, he has to stop. But uh, with five years, the holes are not really deep. So, <laughs> so it was the, the, yeah. This was the game. All yeah. right. <laughs> All right. On that note, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back more with Arndorfer Wines and Indie Wineries just after this.
Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network. And we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MOFAD Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing Flavor, Making It and Faking It. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami. And the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MOFAD Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org. Have you listened to A Taste of the Past? It's a show devoted to connecting our current food world with its storied past. Host and culinary historian Linda Palaccio welcomes chefs, scientists, authors, scholars, and revolutionaries into the studio to discuss food culture and history from around the globe. Have you seen the culture of food change over the past 25, 30 years? It's been incredible. Linda covers content ranging from the history of black chefs in the White House to behavioral psychology and the evolution of Italian food in America. You can listen to A Taste of the Past anytime on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on iTunes and Stitcher. We are back uh, on In the Drink with uh, Indie Wineries and Arndorfer Wines. Uh, we have Martin Arndorfer in the studio with us uh, and Chase Granoff from Indie Wineries. Welcome back. Before the break, you were telling us about uh, your childhood and uh, how at 14 years old you started Enology School, winemaking school, which blows my mind. Uh, after school uh, for winemaking, you went to university. What did you study there? Uh, it was like wine management mm-hmm. and wine marketing. And it was yeah, like more the economic part. Uh, and more or less one third of all the lessons have been still production as well. But this part was uh, done from Germany. Like we got other people or other uh, teachers and yeah, it was nice to see also the difference between the diff- uh, the schools like every every school has its own uh, focus or mm-hmm. its own message he wants to give the students and how would how would you um, uh, characterize the German school versus this Austrian school that you went to and is uh, it more of a culture of Germany versus Austria or just the particular school itself uh no, it's like the big difference is that the uh, the students on the German schools they start with uh, eighteen or nineteen, so uh, it's a university for wine. Mm-hmm. And the school I attended in Klosterneuburg is uh, like a high, high school. school. Is it high school? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like when you start with fourteen. So the Germans they are much more they're going much deeper into the topics because it's university and. This was nice as well to get from 14 to 24. Uh, and so this during this time in your uh, 10 years of, of learning about, about winemaking and always thinking about that, um, the time at university, were you still involved with your family's wine? Or how, how did you kind of manage that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I worked with my parents since 2000, so I helped my father. And... Uh, when I started to own label in 2002, I was much more involved in the winery. And during studies, uh, I traveled between the winery and the mm-hmm. university. Like it was a one and a half hours drive. Uh, 
and the hard time was always during harvest because then you can't wait and say, well, well do it on the weekend. Uh, when the day is right, you yeah, you crush, you harvest, crush, and then it was like working in the winery until one o'clock, then driving to the university. I'm sure at that time you have a good excuse, though, right? It's better than in, in the States you say, my dog ate my homework. Right? You <laughs> can say, like, it was harvest time. Like, I'm sorry I wasn't able to get my... Uh, assignment on micro oxygenation done or something like that <laughs> yeah, we had a beautiful uh group there like we were people about six we were a group of six and we always shared the work like one is doing the whole work and the other is uh has more time and then in the in the other lesson we did the, uh, the next way around <laughs> like it was uh a very good organization organization between us. Well, I hope your former professors aren't li- aren't listening <laughs> to the show. Um, and tell us, and your your uh, uh, your wife is also from a winemaking family. Yeah. How did you guys meet, and and uh, how did that happen? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we met at the tasting. Like, <laughs> it was a, a local tasting in Langenlois. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the winery from my wife from Anna is uh, Weingut Steininger. From Langenlois. A great, yeah, fantastic Austrian winery, yeah. Yeah, and there was a tasting where they showed the best wines from Langenlois, and Anna was, I think, 14 uh, when she was pouring wine for her parents, and yeah, this was the first get in touch or get yeah, meeting. <laughs> And uh, and is she still? I mean, now uh, you, you know your winery. You guys work on it together, right? And so, how do you divide the the work between the two of you? Uh, yes, yeah, she's mainly uh, doing the work in the office. Actually, her first job at the moment is being mom. <laughs> like, yes. yeah. congratulations! <laughs> and uh, but next to this, uh, she helps a lot with office work, mm-hmm. and. Uh, then we do all the decisions uh, in the vineyards and in the cellar together. Like we do a lot of tastings together, and yeah, it's also that my parents or my father is still uh, always tasting with us, which is for me very helpful to have another uh, opinion or uh, impression because he used he's working in the business since more than forty years and. He worked as a negociant in the past, and he tasted a lot of wines. Mm-hmm. Now when we started to make uh, skin contact or skin fermented wines, like more natural, with no sulfur, no filtration, and like orange wines, we tasted with him as well. And for him, this was a completely other style of wine. And at the beginning, he was a little bit shocked and said, well, oh, that's uh, so different. But uh, when we tasted for hours, <laughs> Uh, then he said, maybe maybe I get used to or they taste good. <laughs> and at the end, he said, when I don't care about the color, I really like the wine. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like he's pretty, like, has a very open mind, I'd say. You know, I, I think that someone who's been doing it for such a long time would maybe not as, be as open to, to, you know, young guns coming in and changing things around. But yeah, I, I think you're very lucky with, with that. Absolutely, yeah. So that's... Yeah, and there was sometimes that uh, there was not a huge support from the parents, like, uh, uh, can I help you or something like this, but they never said no. And this was more or less the most important thing that uh, I could do new things and new ideas uh, because my parents uh, gave me the possibility. And 
And so one of the new ideas that you were you kind of alluded to earlier was kind of scaling back the use of sulfur in your wines. Um, how have your experiments been with, with this? Uh, yeah, we were, like, uh, in 2012, we did the first wine without any sulfur, like it was Grüner uh, skin fermented. It was an exclusive bottling for Denmark, and we were inspired from Denmark to about this style of wine, and then they asked us, well, you should try and come there with Grüner And I said, well, we can try uh, after tasting a lot of wines in this style. And, like, we never used a lot of sulfur, and but we added before bottling. And some of the wines, they, they never have a free sulfur, uh, so there's not really protected from mm-hmm. sulfur. So for us, it was the reason why do we need to add sulfur when the wine is not protected from sulfur. So we slowly uh, got more and more comfortable not adding sulfur. And But this is, I think, just possible when you start to work in the vineyards first. Like, uh, And there, there are a lot of small details which you have to pay a lot of attention. And to, at the end, you can say, well, we don't add sulfur. But this is the last little decision which caused a lot of but uh, there are a lot of decisions before you have to pay attention uh, that at the end you can say, well, I'm fine, we need no filtration, no sulfur, and it doesn't taste oxidized. Right, so, I mean, you have to have extremely high-quality fruit to be able to do that, right? But what are, what are, how do you justify or how do you understand if your fruit is good enough to, to not be able to add sulfur, if it's going to be stable once you come into the bottle, especially since your wines, those wines aren't filtered, right? So if you have, uh, if you have an unfiltered wine, but you add sulfur, then it'll be stable. If you add, if you don't add sulfur, but you filter it a lot, then it should be pretty stable. But now that you have these particles and potential dormant yeasts and in there, um, how, how how can you be sure that the fruit is good quality enough? And the wine will, will will be stable. And so the the most so the age of the wines of the vines mm-hmm. uh, is uh, probably the most important thing. Like uh, we saw in some years that. Uh, even uh, like when the roots are more and more deeper in the soil, the vines are less, they get less stress all the year. Like when they, there's a lack of water, young vines, even if they grow on the best vineyard side or on the best Grand Cru Appellation, uh, when they get stressed by water, by the lack of water, uh, you don't taste the great vineyard sides because they just uh, got stressed and so old vines, and uh, you have to have a diversity of a very lively soil. So, and the crops are pretty low. Like we have during the season uh, in the vineyards, there are a lot of different herbs and flowers and cover crops, which are all uh, helping to get more microorganisms or bacteria or fungus into the soil, which at the end help the vines mm-hmm. to get nutrients. And like when when we understood stood this system about nature, uh, it was like, wow, why haven't we done this forever? <laughs> that the the plants are the magic parts that they can convert the highest energy we have on Earth, like the sun, convert it to nutrients, and then to to the roots, they give the proteins to the microorganism, 
And so the microorganisms get the energy from the sun, and then they help to get the nutrients to the vines. And it's like the the nature is a genius. It's amazing. It's, yeah. yeah. Like, and so we understood it's the only way how we can work in the vineyards is to cooperate with the nature and that and not working against because nature is always stronger. And the leaves are like solar panels. Exactly. Right. Yeah. They and absorb the sun and help convert that into energy. Exactly. And like this is, yeah. When I, we haven't got teach this in school. Like this is the. It's so simple to understand at the end, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of process behind in the plants. But uh, that's the pity sometimes in schools that they focus too much on like the the science mm -hmm. or uh, like the technology. If you do this, this will be the reaction as opposed to the whole idea. Why is why does all this happen? Yeah, and like it's yeah, it, it's everything connected. Like and it starts with the basic with soil and sun, and then when you put the seed in the soil, they start to grow, and then you have the plant and yeah, and with a lot of uh, life in the soil, you get much more expression uh, in the grapes from the soil because the roots are much more connected. So if you don't use herbicide or fertilizer, uh, the vine is much more connected with the soil, and of course there are other reasons why you use. But uh, when you, these reasons are based on economics. Mm -hmm. They are not based on the quality on wine. That's the, but it's a reason. So uh, every winemaker can make his own decisions. Like, and speaking of uh, every winemaker and other winemakers, what do you feel is going on right now in the Kamptal? Um, how do you feel the, you know, the the current state of affairs is? Uh, in Kamptal, we have some really famous wineries like uh, with a very long tradition who made an outstanding job the last 30 years or 25 years uh, to get Kamptal and Grüne Wettliner more and more famous and at the moment it's nice that uh, we started a, a new project or a new cooperation with friends of us uh, with Alvin and Stephanie Jucic we founded a winery uh, called Fuchs und Hase which means fox and hare. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this winery, we produce just Petillon Naturel. So it was the idea to have some sparkling wine without any additions. And we are both very much uh, interested in producing wine without any addings. And after some traveling in the Loire, we got inspired to make like Petillon Naturel with the Méthode Ancestrale from Kamptal, mm -hmm. or we've been the first even in Austria to do this method. And in these last few years, have there been, has there been more interest in uh, wines that are made? Uh, I mean, that's one of the things I love about your wines, that they're so unique and individual, and you have textured whites and Petillon Naturel, and uh, even you Riesling that spent time in, in some oak, and Gruner Veltliner spent time in some, some oak, not that it was oaky, very just, just beautiful and, and uh and round and complex wines. Are you finding that other people are starting to question and experiment, uh, or is it still like pretty revolutionary and, and strange and different? Yeah, it's more s strange and different. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's, on the other hand, because of the tradition from the past. Like, uh, if you tell 30 years the story about tradition, uh, 
it's good to s maybe stay on this. There was a really nice change uh, in the work in the vineyard, like organic and biodynamics became more and more a topic. Uh, and this, uh, a lot of wineries changed to this uh, method or uh, managing the vineyards. Uh, but in the cellar, sometimes they're still pretty t traditional. Mm -hmm. I understood. All right. Well, I guess that, that's one of the, the many reasons I love your wines. And not only do they taste great, but they have such a unique personality, an individual personality that's based on your experience and your, your passion. Uh, and uh, and uh, I love them. So thank you so much for coming to Into the Trick. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Pleasure. And, and Chase, thanks so much for, for uh, always being awesome. Uh, and we love indie wineries. We love your, you know, your whole portfolio of so many great wines. And it's always a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Uh, and thanks to all of you guys for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.